Oral questions by members. Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, a common theme uh, with this NDP government is record high spending coupled with record low results for British Columbians. Nowhere is this more true than with BC Ferries. Well over a year ago, they appointed a former NDP MLA and the architect of the fast ferries debacle in the 1990s, Joy McPhail, as chair of the Ferry Corporation Board. She then promptly fired the uh, president of the Ferry Corporation and installed a president that would take direction from this NDP government. They then handed the Ferry Corporation $500 million with no strings attached. But what do we see today? Continued missed sailings, continued cancelled sailings, and worse results for British Columbians. So my question to the Premier is, now that your government's taking control of BC Ferries, when are you going to take responsibility for the results that the public is seeing at BC Ferries? Premier. Well, thank you uh, very much, Honourable, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. You know, for so many British Columbians, the ferry is their connection to relatives, to business, uh, to community events. The Guns N' Roses concert uh, on the mainland was cited as one of the reasons for congestion the other day, people coming over and having trouble getting over for an event they wanted to go to with their friends. It's unacceptable to me, it's unacceptable to the Minister of Transportation, that people are not able to get where they're going. They're not seeing the customer service that they need. We've made that very clear to BC Ferries. We have new leadership in place that's taking action. And I want to thank the member opposite for coming clean on the record to be clear that he opposed the $500 million to keep fares under control for people who are BC Ferries dependent in this province. He voted against it. He voted against them and all the small businesses that rely on the ferries that can't afford to see higher fares. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, correction to the Premier, we voted against the entire reckless big spending budget of yours because we're not getting results. It's astonishing that after going through a terrible summer full of cancelled ferries, sailing weights at BC Ferries, the NDP response? Let's add more vice presidents. That ought to fix the problem. Yes, so they added four new vice presidents, all of them making over $300,000 to $460,000, including a vice president for public affairs and marketing. Well, let me say this to the Premier. No amount of NDP spin is going to take away from the fact that you're spending record amounts of money and getting record low results for the travelling public. So when will this Premier admit that stacking four more high-paid vice presidents is not solving the problem, and when are they going to start fining those highly paid vice presidents instead of the corporation, which is a waste of taxpayer money? Premier. Thank you uh, very much, Honourable Chair. I've made very clear uh, to the leadership of BC Ferries, the Minister of Transportation has, that we expect them to meet the needs of the people of British Columbia to get around this province. We know that there was chronic underinvestment in the capital stock, the boats, to get people from one place to another. And if, if that member thinks that people in ferry-dependent communities think he's on their side, he's got another thing coming. He stood in this place on that line item, on that $500 million, to help BC Ferries with the costs of fuel that had gone up, the costs of We've seen global inflation impacting all kinds of businesses. So his choice, 
Members. His choice. Members. Members. His choice to stand and vote for a double-digit fare increase for BC Ferries users says everything that people need to know. And he voted against money for cancer care, and he voted against money for enhanced 911 services in this province, not in a big budget, but in an individual line item vote, he voted against these things. He doesn't stand with British Columbians, he stands for himself. Official Opposition House Leader. Thanks, Mr. Speaker. Well, last night uh, we were copied on a letter from Clayton Pecknell, the highly respected and independent uh, police complaint commissioner, a letter that was written to the Minister of Public Safety. Shockingly, this NDP government did not consult with the police complaint commissioner as it unilaterally dictates policing decisions in our province. The letter makes clear that the NDP is compromising the independence of police oversight disregarding ongoing matters in progress, limiting public accessibility to transparent decision-making, and engaging in a massive overreach of governmental power. How can British Columbians trust anything from this Premier with respect to policing, given the Police Complaint Commissioner is now also ringing the alarm? Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, what I can tell the, uh, the member is that uh, my, he wrote to my office, as he did to the members of the House, uh, he outlined a concern with a particular section as it related to a, uh, as it related to a particular other section in the bill. Um, we spoke to him. Um, my staff, the Legal Services Branch, said that uh, there's not the issue that, that he felt there was. But uh, what I said was what's asked what would be required. Uh, we agreed on what the solution to his concern was. Uh, and, and it would be uh, uh, an amendment to the clause actually removing a, a subsection, uh, which we've done. And I've tabled a, uh, an amendment uh, with the clerk's table. And we'll be dealing with that uh, when we get to committee stage of the bill. Official Opposition House Leader, Supplemental. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, what a complete and total mess. Yet, yet another example of, of this government not doing the work ahead of time and doing appropriate engagement, and they're going to uh, already bring forth amendments to, to legislation uh, in front of the House. It's ridiculous. Total mess. It's an attack on local autonomy. There's been no transparency on this uh, from day one. No respect for taxpayers, and as we learned from the, uh, the police uh, complaint commissioner, the independence of, of police oversight, in his opinion, is compromised with, this, uh, with, with, with the decision the government has taken. Now, the Premier once wrote the guide on how to sue the police, and now he's stomping all over our law enforcement institutions. Throughout his career, the Premier has been relentless in his quest to undermine the police. The police complaint commissioner's letter confirms the Premier's still at it. So the question is this, why is the Premier undermining law enforcement institutions with such a brazen misuse and overreach of government power? Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. That's just straight nonsense. Um, as I told you... As I, as I told you, Honourable, as I mentioned a moment ago, Honourable Speaker, uh, we were contacted by the, the Office of the Police, the, by the Police Complaints Commissioner. He raised an issue. Legal Service Branch looked at it. They said that uh, 
and talked with him. There is a way to address it. That's exactly what was done. But the members, members, minister has the floor. Thank you, uh, honourable speaker. But when it comes to real confusion, honourable speaker, it really is on that side of the house. Because, Honourable Speaker, on one day, the, uh, the leader of the opposition is on South Asian media going, uh, first off, we have to call back the legislature, and I've been very clear that not only should they do that, we would certainly be there and help them make sure that they get that done in terms of putting in a bill to deal with Surrey policing uh, transition and a binding, and a binding, and a binding uh, decision. That's what he said, Honourable Speaker. That's the position Members. of the leader of the opposition. Members, yet, yet the member from Surrey Members. South stands up and says that yes, the government is ramming through the, the bill and that they're going to vote on it, honourable speaker. So the real question is, who is the leader of the official opposition? Is it the member from from, from that member over there, or is it the member from Surrey South? Opposition, uh, House Leader, second well, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. The fact that the, the Solicitor General and the government has to uh, point back to doctored video clips that completely take out of context is just absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Members? Calm down. Please. I'll tell you, if, uh, if this was a decision that the Leader of the Opposition was making, there wouldn't be an attack on local autonomy, there wouldn't be disrespect for local taxpayers, there wouldn't be, uh, we wouldn't have uh, brought forward uh, a, a decision that uh, actually compromises the independence of police oversight. We would have actually uh, engaged ahead of time. So again, again, we would have engaged with everyone ahead of time. Instead. Instead, this government has to come in here and try and clean up this mess, which has been a total, complete uh, example of incompetence from, from day one. Why, again, why is the Premier undermining law enforcement institutions with this brazen misuse and overreach of government power? Solicitor General. Honourable Speaker, once again, the desperation of the opposition shows itself by trying to blow up something that it was a small technical issue that the absolutely and the solution was arrived at literally in a short phone call and the amendment has been tabled Members. and the office of the police complaints commissioner Members. is very happy with that the real Members issue come comes back order. again where is the leadership on that side of the House, Honourable Speaker? Where is that leadership, Honourable Speaker? Is it the position of the, the, official, the leader of the official opposition, who, if he doesn't like the video clip, doesn't Members. like the video clip? How about this, how about this quote? The, the BC Liberal leader promised members of the Punjabi Press Club of British Columbia that, the, that he will work hard for a smooth and successful transition of Surrey's own local police force. Is that the position of the BC Liberal, of the B Cup, or is it the position of the member from Surrey South who, who says, no, we're going to vote against the bill? Who is the real leader over there, Honourable Speaker? Members, when the question is asked, let's listen to that. When the answer is provided, let's listen to that. Otherwise, we will be wasting lots of time unnecessarily. Leader of the third party. 
Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. For far too long in British Columbia, our K-12 public schools have been operating on a scarcity model. BC school districts are forced to make difficult budget decisions. Programs are being cut due to insufficient resources, and teachers are feeling burned out due to staff shortages. We must recognize the fundamental value of an excellent public education system. Through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Education, BC Schools Trustees Association and the BC Teachers Federation have expressed that the current operational funding is not sufficient to meet the needs of educators and students. Will there be a historic investment in next year's budget for our public education system? Minister of Education. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I would like to thank member for the question. Uh, we, uh, our government takes education, uh, it is our key priority, and I completely agree with you. The work that the teachers do every day in their classrooms, uh, it is just, uh, we are so thankful uh, for that. And, but I also want to let the member know, uh, Mr. Speaker, that education is a priority for us, and that's why uh, if you look at the budget, uh, this, is the, this year's budget was the highest ever for the education whether it is for the, uh, for the new schools, new programs, and uh, also the first time ever in the history of British Columbia, uh, Mr. Speaker, a school meals program, uh, feeding futures program, that is to make uh, not just our education system stronger, but like what, what the teachers are doing, uh, helping them in their work as well. Leader of third party supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the Minister for her, her answer. I, I think that the challenge we have is because for so long the system has been operating in a scarcity model, that the standard inflationary and per-student uh, funding lifts that come uh, automatically are not enough to address the deficits of funding for the public education system for decades. We need a real commitment to ensure we're investing properly to meet children's needs, including children with special needs. Many children with learning disabilities, such as dyslexia, are unable to get the assessments or supports that they need in public schools because the resources are simply not there. We know that early intervention makes an enormous difference for these children for the rest of their lives, and many parents are paying out of pocket for assessments and necessary supports for their children trying to ensure that those needs are being met. Through you, Honourable Speaker, to the Minister of Education, what does this government have to say to the parents who are spending tens of thousands of dollars just to get their children's needs met? Minister of Education. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I completely agree with the member that every child uh, coming to the BC school system should be getting the services uh, uh, that they deserve, and they need to have a full and healthy life in our schools. Uh, Mr. Speaker, in this, this year only that we have invested uh, over $800 million uh, to support inclusive education for students uh, with uh, diverse abilities, with disabilities. Uh, and uh, this is a commitment. I know uh, that, uh, as I said, that every ch children, child should be able to reach their full potential. At the same time, we are aware of the gaps that, that, that are there. And that's why uh, my ministry, myself, we are having conversations with our stakeholders uh, and uh, looking out like how we can make sure that every child reaches their full potential. House Leader of the Fourth Party. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Today I'm standing up to read to this House a paragraph from a book that I find deeply and others find deeply troubling. 
and frankly, it's profoundly disturbing. Members. I want the House to brace themselves, Mr. Speaker, as I read the following quote. Member, 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 member. And I quote. Member, member. I just want to caution you that, you know, we went through this uh, exercise before, so please be careful with the language that you will be using. I most certainly will, Mr. Speaker. Thank you for your advice. I quote, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgendered activists, people of color, youth under 18, immigrants might face greater harassments by guards or police. That, Mr. Speaker, is from page 49 of the arrest handbook written by this NDP Premier. Mr. Speaker, would the ND Premier, NDP Premier of the province of British Columbia please explain to British Columbians why he saw it fit to imply that the brave men and women who work in law enforcement in British Columbia are racist, homophobic, and target children for harassment? Premier. Well, thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, for the opportunity to respond. Um, you know, the, the issue, and it's a serious one, of uh, the experiences that people from visible minority communities have with police um, is one that is widely recognized. Um, the members' uh, attempt to make light of that, an issue that has been recognized by police, uh, by police complaint commissioners, by public inquiries. Uh, this was an issue that raised its head in Vancouver when a judge was stopped on the seawall by police. He happened to be a black man, honorable chair. The experience of Indigenous youth in their interactions with police them, lead them to have a reduced relationship of trust is a serious one because Indigenous people are more likely to be victims of serious crime. So to, to stand in this place and pretend there wasn't an all-party steering committee looking at issues exactly like this, so the member sat over here, uh, to make light of the experiences of people in British Columbia and across North America and issues that police are grappling with, how to serve different communities, how to be representative of different communities, um, I don't think it does anybody uh, any good in this province. And it is part of a continuing pattern of behavior out of that new party that is profoundly disturbing to me and I know to many members in this place. Member. Member Supplemental. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Just a few weeks ago, NDP-aligned extremists in Vancouver, standing with NDP cabinet ministers, chanted that British Columbia's police and RCMP are ugly, killers, and hate kids. Will this NDP Premier admit that these radical NDP activists let, lifted their derogatory, defamatory, and hateful speech against BC's police and RCMP officers directly from the book that he wrote, and will he apologize to our good men and women in law enforcement today? Yeah, Members, 
when the question is asked, the question is supposed to be to explore the responsibility of the premier related to his work. So we have to be very careful. I just want to caution members how, how you uh, frame the question. Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker. To the member's question, there were no NDP cabinet ministers standing on a stage with anybody when they made those horrific, heinous, outrageous, and totally unacceptable remarks that everybody on this side of the House, and I would hope everybody in this side of the House, condemns, Honourable Speaker. It's that straightforward. Member for West Vancouver, Capilano. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Following the horrific death of an Indigenous child under the care of the Ministry in Children and Family Development, media reports reveal yet another damning audit and proves that this death could have been avoided. The audit found social workers failed to regularly visit children placed in foster care in all 14 files reviewed. Surely this must be the final straw for a minister that has repeatedly failed to protect the children in her care with fatal consequences. Will the Premier do the right thing and fire the Minister for Children and Family Development? Children and Family Development. Honourable Speaker, and um, this is a heartbreaking tragedy, and no parent or community should ever go through this. Every day I reflect upon how the whole system failed those children. They were failed at every level, including my ministry. And as a former frontline worker, I know what basic social work is. I know how we should be serving and taking care of the safety and well-being of the children and youth who are in our care. And homes need to be properly assessed. Children need to be seen, and they need to be seen regularly. Basic social work procedures in that particular circumstance were not followed, Honourable Speaker. And as soon as we found out that, that the house was not safe, the Ministry took immediate action, including making sure that all children and youth under the care of that particular MCFD team were visited and were seen, and their placements were assessed to make sure that they were the right placements for them. And I directed my staff to make sure that they could assure me that there was no situation like that anywhere else in our province. Thank you. Member have supplemental. Uh, Mr. Speaker, this is not about the, the ministry as much as it is about the minister and the minister's responsibility. And having the minister reflect is not enough. She needs to have stepped up and fixed this. Eighteen months ago, the official opposition raised the alarm about these damning audits revealing a complete neglect of youth for extended periods, a clear violation of policy. Despite assurances from the minister, the situation has only gotten worse. Appalling statistics expose the minister's ineffectiveness. From a 33% compliance rate at her appointment in 2020, it's now plummeted to a shocking 11% compliance. So given these tragic failures, when will the Premier do the right thing and fire this minister? 
Minister. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and uh, thank you to the member for the question. I share the concern. I know there's a lot of anger and a lot of pain, and I absolutely understand that. What happened in this particular situation was not acceptable. I told my staff that it was not acceptable and that immediate action had to be taken. And so all of the children under that team's care were visited. All of the placement decisions were reviewed and made sure that they were appropriate. And the audit, the audit that the member is, is talking about, Honourable Speaker, was one that we initiated because we were so concerned about the, about the practice in that office. We, know, we have good policies and procedures in place and they need to be followed. And I've directed my staff to make sure that on any given day we know that all policies and procedures are being followed across the whole of the province. I'm absolutely determined, Honourable Speaker, to make sure that we make all of these improvements and they make a difference in the day-to-day -day lives of all of the children and youth that we're caring for. Member for Prince Real Mount. Well, what's not acceptable is this minister's continual refusal to accept her responsibility for the devastating outcomes for children and families in this province. Under her watch, autism funding was clawed back. There has been a surge in deaths and injuries of children in care. There's been a rise in youth overdoses of children in care. Multiple representative for children and youth reports that have been ignored. The tragic death of an 11-year-old where neglect was evident and disregard for First Nations concern. It is time for the Premier to take action, for him to stand up and acknowledge that it is not acceptable for the Minister to continue to deny her responsibilities in this portfolio. So will the Premier get up today because the Minister refuses to step aside, do the right thing and fire his Minister? Minister of Children and Family Development. Thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And uh, I do understand the anger and the outrage at what has happened. And um, what happened to those children was absolutely unacceptable. And the system absolutely failed them. We know that the system of care is rooted in a very long history of colonialism, of so-called residential schools, of the 60s scoop, and the over-representation of Indigenous children and youth in care. And our government has been working to tackle that and to address that because we know that leads to poorer outcomes for children and youth. And the input of First Nations Leadership Council is absolutely critical in that work, Honourable Speaker. Because of their advocacy, already we are taking action to speed up the hiring of an Indigenous Child Welfare Director. And we have already strengthened our oversight and we have heard the call from First Nations Leadership Council to bring in some external oversight to review the measures that we have taken and to be able to investigate how they are making a difference in protecting children and youth. Member for Dilcourt and North. Mr. Speaker, a staggering 71% of students witness or experience unwanted sexualized behaviors in post-secondary settings. This is an outrageous and unacceptable reality. The Alliance of BC Students is sounding the alarm, calling for immediate action from this government. The 2016 Sexual Violence and Misconduct Policy Act was a first step, but both students 
and the BC United agree that much more needs to be done. Universities must adopt stringent, uniform standards for programs, policies, and annual funding for sexual violence prevention programs. And further, it is critical that these services are provided on campuses. Will the Premier heed the urgent call from the Alliance of BC students who are in the gallery today and commit to these important actions, yes or no? Minister of Full Secondary Education. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker, and I want to thank the member across the way for the question and uh, the students who are in the gallery who put this question to me yesterday in our, in our conversation. Uh, sexualized violence on campus, in fact, anywhere, is not acceptable, Mr. Speaker. And, uh, and I do appreciate that the members opposite, when they were on this side of the House, uh, they did uh, have sexual violence policies required in all post-secondary uh, institutions. But, Mr. Speaker, it came with zero money. The previous government did not attach any dollars to that. And when we formed government, we heard that, and we listened to the students who were advocating to us back in 2017, and we provided over three quarters of a million dollars to colleges and universities to prevent and respond to sexual violence. So we've been supporting, we've been hearing their voices, and we've been uh, um, providing the resources that they need. We also provided half a million dollars to public post-secondary institutions to establish and improve anonymous reporting systems. In fact, Mr. Speaker, we introduced uh, a new requirement that all private training institutions also have to have sexual violence policies and report them annually because that uh, wasn't included uh, by the uh, formal B former BC Liberal government, uh, Mr. Speaker. There are a number of actions that are currently underway. Um, that's around plain language support so that policies are clear, uh, providing training resources for all institutions, targeting supports in, in various institutions, Mr. Speaker, and outreach. And I look forward to continuing to work with the students to make sure that we're getting it right. Member for Caribou North, supplemental. Mr. Mr. Speaker, after seven years and two elections, I can only imagine how hard it is for the students here in this gallery and students across this province who come here year after year to be told the exact same answer, we're working on it. They're asking for clear action and they're asking for services to be on campus. We've seen a staggering increase on campuses. Every student in the province of British Columbia should feel safe on campuses and they're tired of coming repeatedly year after year and hearing this government say, we're working on it, a plan is coming. To the Premier, will the Premier give a straight answer to the students who are in the gallery, and will he commit to accepting the recommendations that the students have made, yes or no? Minister of Post-Secondary Education. Mr. Speaker, we're doing more than acting on it, we're funding it. We're funding the work, something that they didn't do. Zero dollars. Zero dollars, Mr. Speaker. In fact, Mr. Speaker, the other thing that the other folks did across the way is they actually took funding away from sexual assault centers. Who does that? We're restoring funding, Mr. Speaker, and there's a lot more to do, and I look members, forward to working members, with those students to deliver members. for them because this government delivers for people. The balance question period. 